You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. time of worship. You know, it's interesting, I'm putting together this message, and uh, I, I don't, I didn't get together with Steve ahead of time, I didn't get together with Caleb ahead of time, but these songs, the words in these songs were perfect, they lead right into the message I'm bringing today. So before we start that, welcome to life. Uh, if you're a first-timer, or it's one of your first few times, uh, we kind of go through this saying every time, so you kind of know who we are. We are a city for the church, or I'm sorry, we're a church for the city, um, and being that for our city, we strive to accomplish that in four very specific values we hold. First of all, we love everyone always. We give more than it makes sense. We chase after the likeness of Christ in every area of our lives. We want to look like Jesus. And finally, we anchor all of that in the unchanging truth of what God's Word tells us. And that's who we are as a church and the way we strive to carry out being a church for our city, for our community. So I, I welcome you. I hope you, hope you can be a part of that. A uh, couple of quick announcements. Um, you can read these on the board. We have a um, volleyball league that's in the winter. If you're interested in that, um, check out the details here. That's fix, that picks up January 10th. It's going to be on 70 evenings. There's sign-up forms outside if you want to sign up for that. Um, also, um, this again, we're coming to the end of the year. Uh, this is usually a time people want to give. Just a reminder that uh, you know, it's the 27th. We only have like four days left in the year. So if you want to finish up your year in giving, you got four days to kind of knock that out. If you have questions about how late you can give, some people say up to January 2nd, you can call the church office. They can get you details on that. Um, and lastly, we do have uh, a prayer wall. It's virtual. It's online. You can find that at lifecommunityprayer.net. If you have something you want a, a group of believers to be praying over, we have a group of believers that specifically check that website and pray over the needs you, you post there. Um, it, or if you just want to check that out so you can be part of that group that's praying for somebody, you can go to that site and people that have posted needs and, and areas they want prayer in, you can be a part of that that a body of believers that's lifting them up to Jesus uh, to see if we can have Jesus move in their lives. So that pretty much closes up that. So now we're going to kind of dig into what we're here for today. Uh, besides worshiping, which is, which is uh, something we really love to do. But remember, when we read God's Word and when we explore God's Word, that's worship too. We're worshiping what God said, right? So we want to be sure and remember that. Now last week, Steve had some really interesting things to say. And it was very profound for me last week. Very, very profound message for me. He shared with us about when we, when we share Jesus, how, how, we, how we go about uh, affecting the world with what we have, what we know to be true in our lives, how God has changed us. And he, he made a particular statement that really stuck with me, and that was this. We aren't supposed to get people to believe what we believe. Our, our commandment is not to get people to believe what we believe. Our commandment is to get people to know the God that we know. That, that was really profound for me, and it really stuck with me. And I thought, boy, what a great reminder. 
What a great reminder, because it's so easy to make it about me being right or me wanting to validate what I believe or think about, about something, particularly spiritually or faith-oriented. And I think we need to be cautious about that and recognize this is God's dominion, not ours. This is God's commandment. This is God's work, his kingdom work, not our kingdom work. We're just trying to be tools used for that. And so I thought that was really interesting that he made that statement, and it stuck with me all week. And I think that some of the ideas that we hold about our lives as Christians, as what we, we would call ourselves followers of Jesus, but some of the ideas we hold can, can place our focus in some very specific areas, um, especially when we talk about our witness to others, whether it be verbally or, or the way we live. And um, I, I think today I'd like to dive into that a little bit. What makes us think or, or, or live a certain way or have a certain understanding about our role as followers of Jesus in this life? And maybe we'll find that we can redirect our focus a little bit to make that be more in line with what Jesus called us to do. Now, as a church, we're pretty good about some things. We're really good about looking back. We're really good about looking at the Old Testament. We, and, and it's good that we do that. So we, we're, we, you know, we study Genesis, or we're, we'll do studies on uh, Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. And then we'll, the Exodus has a big marking moment where God pulls his people out of slavery and restores them. And then he gives them uh, their own land that he promises. And, and we're really good at looking at that. We look at the kings, and we like those stories and, and how that applies to us. And, we, and then the prophets and what they were telling most of the time, telling the people of Israel, hey, you're doing it bad. Badly. That was most of the prophet's message. And then telling about how God's going to redeem it someday. So we're really good at that. Okay, we're, we're really good at that. And we're also really good at looking at the future. So, you know, we, we, as, as Christians, we often consider and focus on where is our destiny? We're gonna, someday we're going to be with, with Jesus forever in this sort of place we call heaven, Right? And, and, and this is sort of ethereal and mystical. We're not really sure what heaven is. And, but we, we really focus on when, am I, when, is, when Jesus has his triumphal return, I'm going to go live with him forever. And we, so, and we enjoy that. And that's, that's okay. That's normal. All people groups, whether you're Christian or not, or whether you even have any kind of religious thoughts in your life, that everybody wants to know, why, what am, where am I going? What am I here for? What's my, what's my eventual landing place. And so that's not unusual. But I think one of the reasons we have some struggles to live like those things are realities in our lives is because we focus so much on what God did and what God has for us, and we skip right over what God's doing now. We skip right over living now as followers of Jesus. And I think what that does is it makes us look a little weak in our, in our life as far as bending what we, what we say and what we do and bending our, our priorities in life to fit the realities of what happened in the past and the realities of what God has for us. Our lives have, have to bend to match those so that when we live today, it looks like that's a reality for us. Not just a, not just a nice story from the past or a nice story for the future. 
Oh, my phone's making noise here. I'm sorry. My iPad's singing to me. I, I didn't know it could do that. Do I have a silence button on this? I think I do. You know, I'm really a tech-savvy guy, but I don't see a... I'll just turn it down all the way. There. So I'm going to spend some time looking at that today. What does it mean to live now? What does it mean when we're living now for Jesus? What is, what is life supposed to look like between the time that Jesus lived, uh, the Old Testament and the time that Jesus lived? So then they've got all this time that's in our lifetime between that and what we know God has for us in the future. What does that mean when we do now? That's what I want to hope to spend some time with today. Maybe we can change some wrong thinking or tear down something that was leading us maybe away from the now and then lay some new foundation that might bring us into a place where we can build on a life that God has for us, that Jesus lived for us and described for us. Now, I remember when, when I first became a Christian, uh, I, was, I was pretty young, but um, I was primarily concerned with um, spending eternity in heaven. I mean, that's kind of the way it was presented to me, and I thought that was a big deal. And when I say that, I wanted to live forever for, in heaven, what I'm really saying is I didn't want to go to hell and have punishment. I mean, that, Sometimes that's, that's the motivator. Sometimes we make that initial decision. It's like the picture of Jesus is he's saving us from sure destruction. And I know that was, that was where I really was focusing. And I'm not saying that's wrong because that's a, that's a valid concern. But it leaves out so much of the story of Jesus to just say, oh, I get a free ticket to heaven because Jesus took care of what I, what my life problem, my, my, my personal infection of sin that we're all born with. Jesus could take care of that. He's the remedy. And to say, okay, now, boy, now I'm in is just a too simple of an idea. And that's not what Jesus talked about at all. It's not some mystical place uh, and I think this is fairly common, in, in, particularly in the Western world, in, in America, North America, modern church, the last 75 or 100 years. This is kind of the, the approach we use. I remember um, even after I was a Christian, in the last 10 or 15 years, I'll be approached by someone in a restaurant or somebody on the street who will come up to me, and they're doing what we call evangelizing, or they're going out and they're sharing Jesus or whatever. And the first thing they ask is, if you die tonight, you know where you're going to spend eternity? And now I'm not saying that's not a real question, because we do, that's a concern we should have. But I'm just saying it, if, that, if that triggers you and you go, gosh, you know, that's right, I need that, that's good. However, it sets us up to think a certain pattern, a certain way. And I remember most of my life, most of my young adult life, that was still my focus of what Jesus was all about. So I think that's maybe not the best approach. And now it almost... I'll be honest, it kind of irritates me when they do that, and, and I'll, I'll kind of have a discussion with them and say, you know, yeah, I, I do know, but you know what I also know is Jesus has me now, and so we've talked about that. Um, the problem with that question, where are you going to spend eternity, is it doesn't really represent Jesus' life at all. Nothing in that question tells me anything about Jesus, not one thing. It, it, it puts me in this position where I, I, I live my Christian life, or you could live your Christian life thinking that we're just sort of in a holding pattern. We're just waiting for some starting gun to fire so we can really do the thing God has for us. I'm just, we're just in standby mode, waiting for Jesus to come back. 
And I think that's really wrong. I really don't think that's what Jesus had for us at all. And I've spent some time looking this last couple weeks, and I had this in my heart even before Steve taught, but I thought his teaching was a perfect springboard into this. And then I thought the songs today perfectly spelled out how Jesus is what we need, and, and it's more about and, and less about just going to heaven. So as I looked through this, I wanted to look and see what Jesus said, because he was here for a long time. He did a lot of teaching. And um, what I discovered is he doesn't really expect us just to live in a way where we just say, okay, I accept what you did for me now. We're just going to wait until he comes back, and we're going to be backseat. We'll just hang out, chill, you know, Netflix binge for 30 years, and then he'll come back, and we'll all be this big celebration. I don't think that's it at all. His intention was this, that this mystical entity, this heaven, the heaven that we just talked about kind of a little bit, that's, uh, that starts now. Jesus brought heaven with him. That sounds strange to our ears. So, so let's deal with this. Let's deal with this idea of time, and then I'll we'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. So Jesus didn't come to tell us about something he had for us in the future necessarily. He did teach some on that, but mostly he came to bring us something now. He brought us something now, which will lead to something he has for us later. But without the now, you don't have the later. John the Baptist actually preceded Jesus, and God sent him, and his role was to sort of lay the groundwork and prepare the way for Jesus. And what did he say over and over and over again? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, at hand. That's what John the Baptist said many times. Depending on which part of the Bible you're reading, it'll say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to explain a little bit of that in a minute. Jesus himself, when he started his ministry, said these exact words. In Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 17, he says this. It says this. This is after Jesus was baptized and uh, was tempted. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't want to get, I don't want to spend too much time being technical, but I'm going to little, get, a, get a little bit Bible nerdy here because I think it's important for us sometimes to dig a little deeper and not be afraid to do some study in the Word rather than just read it. So we need to kind of understand uh, what those words mean. What those words mean, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so the Greek in the New Testament is actually very, it's a super, super precise language. Okay? They have, uh, it's, unlike English, we don't, have, we don't have the word love. We have the word love and it means 10 different things. In Greek, there would be a different kind of love, actual word for every type of love you can think of. So it's very precise. And in this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word for the kingdom is a word that is basileia. And basileia uh, means this. It means dominion or that which is ruled over. So something that comes under the authority of someone or something, in this example, God, something that comes under his authority that he is ruling over, that he holds in, is his kingdom, his basileia. And the other important part of that phrase, so that, so that's what Jesus, that's what John the Baptist is talking about, this authority, this rule, this dominion area, right, this thing. 
uh, is, is at hand, which means in the Greek, is present. It's here. It's not somewhere, it's not coming, it's here. It's almost like a state of being more than it is a time or place. It's just the, king, the kingdom of heaven is now. It is, is sort of the literal interpretation of those statements. And that means God's dominion, this realm where God lives, which is what, which is what heaven would be, is just the, the realm, it's that place or this, it's hard to put into words. It's a realm where God is. And it has come now. It is now present according to these passages. Now, I just want to, one more technical thing. This is the last schoolroom thing we're going to do, and then we'll get back to the rest of the message. But when you read kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, those are interchangeable. In the Greek, they really meant the same thing. If you actually look at the passages, in Matthew, it always says kingdom of heaven. In Mark, Luke, and John, it always says kingdom of God, even if they're talking about the same events. So those are the same thing, which is interesting because that means heaven is where God is. Kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven because heaven is God's realm. So sorry I got a little nerdy there on you, uh, but I think it's important that we, th this isn't just me having a take on this. This is very precise Greek language, and it was said that way for a minute, for, for a very good reason. Are we on board? We all, did I lose anybody getting too technical? I, I'm sorry. So back to our discussion. So let me ask you some questions. If the kingdom of heaven is present with the arrival of Jesus, and remains present now because of his resurrection. So Jesus remains with us. Yes, he died, but he rose again. God rose him from the dead. And so Jesus is with us. Then why should we be waiting for heaven? <laughs> right? We shouldn't be waiting for heaven because heaven is here. It is present now in Jesus. God is present through Jesus in our life now. So when Jesus comes, the arrival of God's kingdom, which is not a place but a domain. And if you then become a part of his kingdom, you, owe, you are no longer under the dominion of the world. You are under the dominion, the rule of God. Through Jesus, you are under the dominion of God. This is the way it's supposed to be. So how does that play out? How does that, what is that like in your life? What what does that mean? You go, okay, God's, God's going to rule and have dominion over me. How should my world, how should my life change based on that reality? And I believe Jesus defined that in a very short, quick, and concise way in John chapter 10. Jesus was teaching the parable of the good shepherd, and he likens himself to a shepherd over a flock. And that flock is his flock, because that was the way it was in those days. A shepherd would be with his flock day and night. They would know him like a friend almost. They would literally know each other. He would hear a sheep bleat a particular thing, and he would know it was one of his sheep. If he heard the neighboring flock's sheep cry out in some way, he would recognize, well, that's not mine. I... Conversely, or the same way, I mean, the sheep... When they hear someone talking, if it's the voice of their shepherd, they knew, and they were comforted, and they were safe. Okay, this is my guy. If the neighboring shepherd on the field over cries out to his sheep, my sheep, 
this flock doesn't hear, doesn't recognize that. And Jesus talks about thieves and robbers that try to break into the flock and call the sheep away. And it says those sheep won't know that voice because they know the shepherd's voice. So he's describing those that would follow him. He also says he is the door or like the gate to the pasture. He says, if, if you're a part of my flock, you come through me, the door, and I'll give you green pasture. So we're going to read that passage as he describes himself. This starts in verse 7 of John 10, and we're going to read from 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, he was teaching his, his uh, disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's profound. That has always been like ridiculously profound when I read that. That we're supposed to have, Jesus came and he's going to give us life first, and then not just life, not just a, a pitiful existence, but abundant life. And so I'm, I was curious, as I'm, I read a lot of uh, New American Standard, that's kind of the version of the Bible I read, but there's multiple versions out there. So I was curious, how are these other translations describing this passage? So I'm going to throw a couple up here because I, I'm gonna, I want you to see this. I was a little shocked. They're very similar. There's not a lot of question about what God was saying through his word here, the words of Jesus. The ESV says this, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So that's almost identical. Bible and basic English. I came so that they may have life and have it in greater measure. NIV, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Living Bible, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. New living, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Amplified Bible, I came they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance, which means to the full or till it overflows. The message, I came that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever imagined. That's surprising consistency from these different translations that often deviate quite a bit on passages. There's a clear message here. Jesus came to give us life. That was the identical in every translation, and it's abundant life, full, overflowing, more than imaginable. So there it is. Jesus lays out why he came in one passage. Very succinct. Here's what's not in that passage, and you're going to stay with me when I read this, when I, when I go through this. But here's what's not in that passage. He doesn't talk about eternal life specifically. Doesn't talk about salvation for sin. Doesn't even talk about heaven. Doesn't mention any of those things in this passage, but he says, this is my purpose. This is why I came. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying Jesus didn't come for those purposes because those are absolutes. Jesus did come to redeem us of our sin problem. Without fixing the problem of sin, none of this life is possible. Clearly, Jesus came for that. But what he was teaching here is that there's so much more. As a matter of fact, the second half of this passage is talking about the shepherd laying down his life for his flock. So he clearly is teaching he intends to die in this sacrificial way. But he's mostly teaching that he came so we can start living. 
the way man was created in the garden to walk with God in the abundance of his provision. So that's what I want to impress. Jesus came that we could start living now in this time for him, recognizing the abundance of his life. But that puts us in a bit of a quandary because we've all grown up in our culture. So there's a bit of a rub here. I think there's two specific things that I, that I sort of, that God brought to my attention that, that has to be changed from the way our culture thinks or breathes or thinks. And it's the way most of us tend to think as a part of this culture. We need to really fight against it. And that's this. First, is that the abundance that we're talking about? It's God's abundance. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not Steve's. It's not the church's abundance. It's not your neighbor's abundance. It's not Donald Trump's abundance. It's not Nancy Pelosi's abundance. It's, it's God's abundance. And it's his and his alone. He has abundance. The moment you start trying to own your own abundance, you put yourself vulnerable to grieving its loss. If you think you have something, now you're afraid, you live in fear that you're going to lose it. The difference is this. Your abundance, whatever you can gather up, there's a risk of it being lost. There's a risk of you running out. You could grow weary of, of working up this abundance. You could grow faint-hearted because you're working on all this abundance, but your life still is falling apart. God's abundance is infinite. There's no limit. God doesn't get weary of providing. God doesn't get faint-hearted because he doesn't think it's going to work out. He knows it's going to work out. He promises us he's going to work it out. We can rely on his abundance because it's never-ending. Our abundance will always fail us every time. And we live in fear then, and so we hoard up things, and we, we, we hoard. I'm not, now, I'm not just talking about money. We, we tend to go there. That's our culture. Uh, I'm talking about friends. I want that person to be my friend, but he can't be anybody else's friend. I can't share that friend with anybody. I won't have a friend. I won't have a confidant. Or, or yeah, I can, do, I can do this thing, but if I start sharing it with everybody, I'm going to get spread too thin. It could be a talent. It could just be your time. I want time for me. I got, a, I got, some, I got some Call of Duty I got to play. Whatever. Those are the things that we hoard up for ourselves rather than giving and giving. When we recognize it comes from God through Jesus, then we don't fear losing it because we know there's an endless supply and he's faithful and it makes him joyful to provide it. And the second change that we have to make is to redefine what we mean by abundant life. We've got to take on Jesus' definition of abundant life in order to live it. And Jesus' definition was God's definition of abundant life. Jesus gave us a perfect example. He lived it. He walked it every day. He didn't, he didn't write it in some neat little pamphlet and give it to people. You can't, he didn't write a book or leave a narrative that you can go find at the Barnes and Nobles Make Yourself Better section. That's this great self-help manual. No. He walked it out every day. And what we have in scriptures, we have eyewitness accounts of how he lived. Yeah, he taught it, but he lived it first. 
tell you what, you want to see someone you'll listen to? If they talk like they live, you'll absolutely listen to them. And Jesus lived the talk and talked the life that he exampled for us. It was perfect. And it was abundant. And again, we tend to go, again, to financial. We think, we think abundance, we think stuff. We think I'm, I'm set, my, my retirement's really stacking up, I'm doing good. That's not, that's not, what, it, that's not what abundance could mean. Here's, here's what the abundant life means. This is God's abundant life. This is what Jesus meant by abundant life. Abundance is a fullness of love. A fullness of joy, of peace, a fullness of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of meekness, of self-control, of gentleness. Sound familiar? We just did a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Whose Spirit? God's Spirit. Who is Jesus? God's Spirit in flesh. His abundant life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, and gentleness. That's His abundant life. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. If you're scraping by financially, it has no bearing on these attributes. This fruit is not affected by your worldly circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're healthy or you're sick. If you've struggled with sickness or disease your entire life, it has no bearing on God's fruit in your life. None. Jesus is bigger than that. And quite frankly, the first and the greatest of these fruit is love. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Remember, it was a two-parter, right? Love God and love others. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a whole other teaching. We could do a series on that. But love others or love God first, love others. And he said everything else. All, everything else is included in that. So I would submit to you, if you don't have a fullness and abundance of love, you can't have an abundance, a, a fullness and abundance of joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness. You, you can't. If you don't have love first, these others will not follow. But the flip side of that is if you have an abundance of love, all these things... They just flow out of the spirit, man. If you have an abundance of love, you'll have full joy, full peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. You can't escape it. Jesus' life was exemplified by one of the phrases, that phrase that I started this message with last week. Jesus didn't walk around convincing people and trying to convince people to believe what he believed. He walked around pleading for people to know the God he knew, and, and incidentally, the God he was. Even when he was pressed, when he would speak about this abundant life, and they would push back on him, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any non-believer, they would press on him, and he would, he, Jesus, the man, would always deflect, not take any credit. He would deflect and say, no, that's my father. I, I, I'm, I'm not doing that. God's doing that. And, he, and then he even said, I only... I only say what my father says. I only do what my father does. It's not of me. Jesus the man was confessing. I, it's not my abundance. It's the father's. And then he said emphatically in John 10.10 10, that he 
wanted us to have it also. That we might have life and have it abundantly in the way he gives. Not waiting for the future starting gun so we can all have a party in heaven. But that's going to happen. But that's not what Jesus was teaching about living now as followers of him. I would say this, if we become intimate enough with God's word, really intimate, know it, read it, study it, memorize it, and then, and then pray and reach out to God and, and really strive to know him, and we can become sensitive to hear his voice. The Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind. I'm not saying you'll always hear it, but you could. He spoke through the burning bush to Moses. He didn't just, he just didn't get a thing in his head. He said he heard the voice. So, but if you get tuned in, dialed in enough to listen, the abundance in your life will explode. Now, we've, we've mentioned time several times this morning, and look, 2020 has become a joke, right? I mean, there's, I've never seen, there's never been a meme, so many memes about a particular year as there has been everything's laughable. And it's been a mess. There's no doubt. But I got news for you. 2021 doesn't promise anything better. We have no idea what 2021 brings. But I know this. If we live an abundant life, people in 2021, they'll see that abundant life and they will be, they will be uh, drawn to see a God that's glorified and beautiful and a God they desperately need. Because right now, our world, at a fever pitch, 24 hours a day, is screaming at you that you need to somehow just generate some more abundance. Somehow you can just self-effort yourself into this abundant life. And I'm just telling you now, you will fail. Only, only God, only God's abundance is everlasting and permanent and sustaining for us. Here's the good news. The abundant life offered to you through Jesus is free. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a free gift. Now, by saying not cost you anything, I mean there's, there's no preparation you have to make. See, God knew, Jesus knew when he died, when he went to the cross willingly, he knew whoever is in this room, he knew every one of you, he knew who you'd be, he knew what your life circumstance would be. He knew where you're at, how either bad or, God, uh, bad or good it's gone. And yet, he was still willing to die. He knew you wouldn't have it all right, but he was still willing to die. This is a guy, this is our Lord. This is the one that sat at a table the night before he was killed in the most horrific way. He sat at a table and he broke bread with and loved on the individual he knew was going to betray him to that very death. He will do the exact same thing for you. Doesn't matter how much you betrayed him. And when you surrender, he takes on the heavy lifting. And it's possible right now, today, for you to have that. You just have to give up. You have to let him. You know, if you just agree with him that he is your hope, he is your abundance, 
He is your Savior. He can fix the sin problem and then give you a life that's worth living. If you agree with him on that, he'll do it. And he'll do the work of cleaning up your mess. Or he'll strengthen you to be partnered in that. But it's his strength. It won't fall, it won't fall apart. It won't, it won't fall short. And it starts now in this life. So we don't have to wait for God's kingdom. It's already come. So we're going to sing a song in just a minute. So I want to invite people to come down and pray if you feel led to do so. If you feel, if there's something in your heart, you're like, man, I never thought of it that way. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't know about Jesus and his abundant life. Maybe, but maybe something God did today and you said, man, I could use that. It's, it's clear to me now that, that that's, that's the way to live. Don't fight it. All you have to do is tell him, yes. Lord, I'll I'll make that trade. I'll swap out this life that I've been fighting for and scraping for, for the one that you say you can give. Now, I'm not promising wealth. I'm not promising health. I'm not promising easy street. But I'm promising that the strength in that, the abundance of love, joy, peace, patience, will be there. You just chase after him and he'll do the rest. And if it's a little confusing, that's okay. We always make this face available. You can come down and pray. Now, there's nothing magical about getting up and coming and praying. I know, and we're not trying to push that, but I'm telling you from personal experience, if you're stirred in your heart and you feel like, man, Lord, you're doing something here, moving your physical body, taking charge and submitting to that sense that God is with you, It strengthens your faith. It gives you an added step. If you'll step out, come down and pray. I'm just telling you, God can work through your teeny movement of faith. It puts puts action to what your heart and mind are saying. So I encourage you to come down. Maybe that's you uh, that don't know Jesus. Maybe it's you that have known for a long time. But you know what? You've slowly decided you're going to do your own abundant generation. You're going to, I can... I can, I can self-effort my way into this. And Jesus is there if I need him. But, and what you find is it just makes you fearful because you could lose it. I invite you to come too. So as we sing this song, consider this. Consider it. Come and pray.